Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of The Spotlight. I am, my name is Kente, I'm your host all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. We have yet again another wonderful episode. This is episode number 253, and I'm joined by my wonderful and lovely co-host, the lady all the way from Hawaii, Jen. How are you doing, Jen? Great, 253, wow. I know, right? A lot. We are really cooking. Yeah, that's a lot. We should celebrate that somehow. I think so, yeah. Virtual shots of tequila are on me. (laughs) You know what's so funny that you say that? Is, um, you know, I came across this article, and you would think that we uh, we had this plan, but I hadn't had a chance to uh, tell you about it. But... um, I read this article that millennials now, um, they do not um, drink beer. That used to be the number one uh, uh, alcoholic beverage amongst young people. Now they're saying millennials prefer another kind of alcoholic beverage. And what do you think it is? Uh, Is it tequila? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not tequila. In fact, it is wine. It says that oh, millennials ooh. prefer wine over beer. So, wow. Uh, you know, so the question is, when you were the millennial age, uh, what, what did you prefer? What kind of alcoholic beverage? You know, I was not the kind of uh, person at a millennial age that was super picky, but it was definitely hard liquor. None of this, your mom and dad's beer or wine stuff. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, th- if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. There's no point in like going halfway. Yeah, do it right, right? Do it until you're satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't you know. know. It, you know it. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't really drink wine uh, until I got in my late 30s. Uh, you know, uh, and I really don't drink alcohol really at all. But, but, um, yeah, I didn't even to me wine was always something, you know, the old folks did. <laughs> you know, not like something, you know, like I guess now it's kind of it's more cooler now to drink wine. You know. Well, well I I have to say though, now that I've done uh the significant pieces for uh movies to make the meal where we're putting together, you know, the ideas for uh meals all together, it, pairing it with wine is it, it's such an art. I understand why this is such a, uh, why it's such a, an art form in all senses, because there really are certain flavors that wine has that augment different textures and flavors of food. And it's not something that anybody just teaches you. It's something you really have to learn. Somebody needs to kind of walk you through why a dry white wine is good for one meal and why maybe a blended wine is good for another meal. It's, it's, it's it's actually pretty fascinating. And I know that people are sort of the same about their beers with their craft beers and stuff, but wine just has some, there's something special about it. I, I, I can totally understand why millennials are into it. You, you know, what's funny is I don't even know, uh, you know, I have no idea. Um, you know, I guess what, if you have red meat and you're supposed to what, uh, have red wine, right? Is that what it something is? Something bold, yes. Something bold with, uh, with a, yep. And what you need is to have what? a bold taste with something with a taste that's bold. So, so white wine, uh, a chicken for... or a fish, mm-hmm. white wine. White wine, okay. So, what if you're just mm-hmm. relaxing with your lady on the couch? What, what do you, what do you get? Tequila. Tequila. <laughs> 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 I love it. I love it. So. There's uh, no good. There's no good answer for wine in that particular situation. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, for those who may not know, tell tell us a little bit about the movies that make the meal, because uh, we haven't talked uh, about movies on this show. make the meal. Okay. It's it it's something brand new that I just started. Um, it's a it's a site that basically goes through different movies, movies that we've watched together, movies that I have nostalgic. Uh, feelings for movies that I just come across and get an idea for. And what I do is I put together um, ideas for move or for theme nights, things that you can do 
while you're watching a movie so that you can have some good food, some good drink, enjoy your movie. It's just an overall experience. And it comes from uh, all of my, the, the times that we've done sort of the TV series fun stuff, we've always had theme nights to celebrate either the very beginning of the series or the very end of the series. And from that kind of came that idea. So it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy it a lot. Mm. So uh, you and the kids get together and, and make some of these meals together? We do. We actually try out every single thing that I put up there. And I'm amazed at the amount of... Uh, it's it's actually really easy to make the stuff. What's hard, I think, is getting the inspiration for what to make. Because everybody might want to have something while they're doing their favorite movie night or you pick up some popcorn or whatever. But with just a tiny bit more effort, you get something kind of magical out of it. And it, it really makes this whole experience so much more memorable. I, I've had people that have asked me to design their Game of Thrones night uh, I've done a Walking Dead night. Uh, when we did the terror, I actually created a terror-themed um, TV, or I created a terror-themed theme night. What? I'm saying this wrong. I created a terror-themed <laughs> meal night that really went back to the 17, early 1800s, and I pulled all kinds of cool recipes, and it was fun. It's really fun. So I do all that work, and then all anybody else has to do is kind of look at the recipes, take a look at what might be needed. I list everything and prep time. I even put in carbs, so you can't go wrong. <laughs> so how can people get your articles on there or blog posts? They can go, they can go to www.moviesmakethemeal.com. All right, and we'll remind people too uh, at the end of the show. So, um, all right, so, uh, Anybody who is listening, you can uh, call in. The number is area code 657-383-1714. Once again, that number is area code 657-383-1714. Call in to ask a question, make a statement, tell tell us how much you love Kente. I mean, it's all it's all welcome. So, <laughs> All right. So let's get to our guests. Our guest tonight uh, is a singer, a, a songwriter, uh, a, a person who I'm, I can't wait to talk to. Um, I might maybe can at the end of the show, uh, maybe I can convince her to, to give me some singing lessons. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, how you doing, Linda? It's Linda Marks. Yeah. Hi, Kinjay. I'm good. And anytime you want singing lessons, just let me know. All right. Hey, I will ask because, you know, right now I've, I say this all the time. My best singing is done probably in the shower. So uh, <laughs> I feel like I have a I have a platinum album in the shower. If, if the I shower? can. Just, yeah. If I can get a, a engineer that can get rid of the water background, man. And that sounds like a good title, too. I think there'll be quite a mark for In the Shower. <laughs> you know what? In yeah. the Shower with Kinte. There you with go. Kinte. In the Shower hey. with Kinte. There you See, go. this, uh, I think we're on to something. And I think so too. the stage show will be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, if, one this, second. if this actually becomes performance art, Kinte, I think that we should probably warn. Linda in advance. Just throw that out there. <laughs> All right. So, Linda, uh, one thing that we love to do on this show is we love that uh, when this is your first time on our show, we love to start from the beginning. So, uh, where are you from originally? I'm from Boston. All right, Boston. We were talking about earlier, I know you're excited about this uh, season. The Boston Red Sox are doing very well, they're the best team in baseball. They are, and they're winning right now. In fact, they're winning four to one right now as we speak. Yeah, so uh, um, I'm praying for a Dodgers uh, Red Sox <laughs> World Series. I would love that. You know, that would um, be really fun. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. Okay, so about the Boston thing. All right, the only Boston team I like is the Red Sox. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm from Los Angeles, so I don't like the Celtics. Yes. And uh, I don't like the Patriots because I'm a Raiders fan, but mm -hmm. but uh, I do like the Red Sox, 
And there's two reasons why I like the Red Sox. One is mm -hmm. I hate the Yankees. Yeah. I can't stand the Yankees. They're yeah. they're up there. Uh, it's like the Celtics, the Yankees, Duke basketball. Like those are like teams. I, I the season don't start until they lose. So <laughs> you know. So those are my least favorite. And the Clipper, the the so-called Los Angeles Clippers, don't like them. Mm -hmm. But I do love the mm -hmm. Red Sox. So that one reason is because they're the Yankees' bitter rival. The second mm -hmm. reason is. My favorite baseball player of all time, Pedro Martinez, uh, oh, yeah. who, who was a Dodger, but was traded there, um, was a, a Red Sox. So, that, you know, I do like the Red Sox. So I I wish you guys all the success, except for if we are blessed to get to the World Series, then then I take it back. <laughs> you know, so. Well, well, we'll see what unfolds, actually. Um, my, my love of the Red Sox goes way back. When I was a little girl, even though I was a girl, I loved the Red Sox. And I managed to go get tickets and sit in the bleachers, which were the cheapest seat in the park when I was an, uh, a teenager. So I wanted to work there. This is sort of a funny story. So I talked to one of the security guards in the bleachers one day when I was in high school. And I told him I really want to work here. And he told me the company that ran the concessions at the park, it was called Harry M. Stevens. And he told me where the office was. So I walk into the office and it turned out at the time I was walking in, the office was being investigated for nepotism. They were only hiring people for, from Revere and Hyde Park. And here I am, this kid who's <laughs> not from Revere or Hyde Park, walking in off the street and they needed a female. So I'm a female. I'm totally unrelated to anyone there. I got the job. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I love it, too. Yes. Now yeah. Now, I do got to warn you, Jen is originally from New York, so. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was actually, I was actually born in Boston. See, I you didn't were. know that. I didn't know that. I was. I only lived there for a very short time, but I was born in Boston, right mm -hmm. across from the old North Church, so. Cool. Yeah, very yeah. cool. She's so connected yeah. to everywhere. <laughs> I think she's, she, I think she even spent time on Mars for a minute. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, eventually, you know, you want to send me, let's go. Well, you know, they're going to have those private, uh, those private flights out of you know, in outer space. So <laughs> I can see you on one of those. We'll have plenty of time to, we'll have plenty of time to work on your album. Ah, right. right. Live from Mars. On, right. I might sound good on <laughs> Mars. <laughs> It, and it might even have similar acoustics to the shower, so I think we could really do something great here. You know what? I'm 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 really I'm I'm liking that. It can happen. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it can happen. Yes. All right. So um, now, now Linda, uh, were you one of those uh, kids growing up that always knew that you what you wanted to do with your life? Did you know very young that you wanted to be a singer, or at what point did you figure that out? Well, I have. There were sort of two threads. Music was my first language. I didn't talk till I was three, but when I was a toddler, I felt a magnetic draw to pianos. So I'd toddle my way over to pianos and I'd just start playing them. Mm. So I started writing music before I could talk just because it was my first, it was first in my native language, but I didn't have a family that liked that. In fact, my father's line was music is a waste of a good mind. So every bit of passion I showed for music, he suppressed because he was afraid that if I went into music, I'd starve. And even though it's very hard to make oh, yeah. a living as a musician, it's also very hard not to do what you really love. So when I was three, there was a free, which is an operative word in my family, free program at a place called the Laundry School of Music where they had an experimental recorder program for three-year-olds. So even though I had absolutely no interest in recorder, I did it. And they gave my parents the feedback that I was gifted and talented, which made no difference whatsoever to my father's philosophy of music as a waste of a good mind. So then there was an operative free Suzuki violin program when I was in grammar school. And even though I had no interest in the violin, I learned it and got good at it. And then um, there was uh, a need to have a girl drummer for the school band. Now that I liked. So I got myself drumsticks and I started drumming. And I started playing all the other rhythm instruments that I could get into because I've always loved drumming. And then um, I had enough money when I was 11 to buy a guitar from a place that had a flood. So they were having guitars cheap enough that a kid could save up and buy. So I bought a guitar at 11 and I started writing songs on the guitar. And I actually wrote my eighth grade graduation song and wrote a chorus for everybody to sing with me. 
And I didn't get my piano until I was 13, and I'd had to save up the money to get it. And when I was 13, I saved up the money. I went into, in those days, the Yellow Pages. I looked it up. I found a place called the Acme Piano Company, just like in Roadrunner. <laughs> the Acme Company sold everything in that cartoon. So right. I figured they might as well have pianos. <laughs> and so I found a piano I could afford, and I walked downstairs and told my parents, I've saved the money. I found the piano. I'm 13. I can't drive to the store. Please drive me so I can get my piano, and please let me put it somewhere in the house. So my father didn't really support it that much. So I, I was put in the, the one season porch. The only season it was warm enough to play was the summer and it was freezing the rest of the year. <laughs> and I was only allowed to play when no one was home. So I'd rush home from school and passionately start playing the piano, including with freezing fingers. <laughs> and that was sort of my roots. Wow. Um, the other thread though is as a little kid, I, in spite of being an introvert, I always had a sense of, of what was right in society. And I ended up becoming the class president in eighth grade, even though I didn't want to run. So I've always been sort of a social architect and innovator. And it's always been important to me to bring people together. And I started to merge those two parts of me, the, the social architect and the musician. So I've always founded music groups when I was at Yale, where I went undergrad. When I was 17, I was the co-founder with three other women of Yale's third women's a cappella singing group, wow. which was really wonderful. It's called Something Extra. It's still there now. And I wrote and arranged music, as did some of the other women. I ran a cafe called Cafe Calhoun, which was like a cabaret. And I had theater and music. Not only did I perform, but I found other people to perform. When I came to Boston for grad school, I actually continued my music, and in fact, in some of my grad school classes, when the teachers saw me writing furiously, it wasn't notes to the class, it was songs, and I performed in the Boston music scene, and I founded something called the Boston Arts Roundtable, which was a group of artists of all different genres, but what we could do is sort of share the, the process of being an artist with each other, and then I helped produce multimedia shows that some of the radio personalities emceed. Um, and I performed with another singer-songwriter named Lisa Wexler. For three years, we wrote and arranged music and performed. And my first album came out in the 80s when I was in my very early 20s. And I performed at Club Kasim in Boston. What's really cool is I have an album coming out September 27th. Actually, it's coming out on digital platform September 1st. It's called Moments. But I'm actually doing my show back at Club Kasim to talk about coming full circle. Wow. You, so you've you've dedicated your life to to music and um, songwriting and playing instruments. Uh, what would you say your best instrument is or the one that you're most associated with? I'm most well, voice and piano are the two. And actually, I had a 25 year hiatus. We didn't get to talk about that part. Mm. And that wasn't intentional. Um, I was even though my music was really well received it was very hard to figure out how to make enough money. Mm -hmm. And that was really scary, particularly with my father's voice in my head all the time. And so I started, I have another um, line of work, which is mind-body psychotherapy. I've been a body psychotherapist, and my specialty is the relationship of the emotional heart to the physical heart, which is a whole other conversation mm. and healing. And little did I know something that was also not as secure as being a lawyer or an accountant or an Uber driver. Mm -hmm. um, I, I ended up making a career out of that and writing books and speaking. And along the way, it was very hard to do all the music because I had a son and became a single mom when he was two. He's now 22. Oh, wow. And it was, it was virtually impossible to support my son and myself um, and also be a professional musician. So that's sort of how the years started to go by. And then my mom ended up with Alzheimer's, which made it more complicated. So about 10 years ago, I sort of woke up and all this time had gone by and realized the music bug was biting at me the same way the pianos called to me when I was a little kid. And I started trying to get back into it professionally. But every time I tried for five years, either my mom had a health issue or something with my son. So until my mom died, which was in March of 2014, I really couldn't fully engage in it. And people ask why I, this is my fifth album. Moments is the fifth album I will have released since 2014. Wow. And I've got a sixth one in the works. And people say, why are you doing that? And I said, can you imagine what it's like to have your deepest passion pent up inside of you for 25 years? Wow. So yeah. 
So I actually very painfully did not get to do it my whole life the way I wanted to. And that's actually sort of what makes me a poster child for this group, the Women in Music Gathering that I co-founded with Cindy Didamo and with Coletta Connor this past spring, because many women, as they try to juggle all the different responsibilities and relationships in their lives, it's really hard to have the space and even the financial stability to be able to do music full time and take care of everything else. Wow. Um, and we're going to go really deep into that. But um, I have a, a, a couple more questions about your process and whatnot. Is, mm -hmm. um, when you when you sit down to create an album, um, do you have an overall theme that you're trying to uh, come across in in um, the album, how do you know how many songs to put on it and what to leave off? Because, you know, a lot of times people will record like 100 songs, but only like 13 <laughs> will actually make the cut. So how do you how, how's that process for you how, coming? What do you have? Are your albums thematic and how do you figure out what's going on? What album? There. Yeah, my albums are thematic and I consider right, doing an album like a walkabout. Mm -hmm. When I first go about to start, I don't know what's going to come out the other side. You know, I have an idea. You know, I'm a very intuitive person, so I have a feel for something, and I let that guide me. So, um, for example, my first album, which is called Heart to Heart, came out of, I was putting together actually a cabaret show, and I was integrating both originals, and I'm an arranger, so I love to take songs that I love and arrange them. And I could arrange a song of any genre, just like what I write has actually crossed over a lot of genres, too. I, I sort of position myself as I integrate elements of jazz with contemporary folk. That's the best way I can package myself for getting gigs. But actually, you know, when I was at Yale, I was um, my professor, whose name is Maury Yeston, who ended up getting a Tony, wanted me to write Broadway musicals. And some of the songs I've written sound like that. Um, I arranged Gordon Lightfoot's song, Beautiful as a Bossa Nova, and it's beautiful. So I just hear stuff, and I guess the best way to put it is, um, I don't know if you saw the movie Begin Again that had Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley in it, mm -hmm. but it's, a, it's one of those music movies, and there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where Mark Ruffalo walks into a club, and Kira Knightley is playing the guitar and singing. And the way Mark Ruffalo's mind worked is when he'd hear the song, start to envision the arrangement so you start to see violins playing and you see a bass playing and you see a saxophone and that's mark ruffalo's head that's me mm -hmm. whenever i, I saw that that was good yeah i love that movie whenever i hear a song i'm like that i start hearing the way i would arrange it and actually a really cool thing just happened on my moments album that's being released lisa wexler my friend who goes back to when i was in my early 20s she brought over an album a year ago by a woman named pat humphreys and I knew Pat Humphreys from a song that I've sung called Swimming to the Other Side, but this was a brand new album. And when she put it on, there was a song called Into Your Heart. And the minute I heard that song, I fell in love with it and I knew how I wanted to arrange it. So I wrote a violin part for it. I have a saxophone solo on it. I love the arrangement. And I happen to be a women's show that's um, a show Deb Anderson does from Lincoln, Nebraska. And Colette O'Connor does something called Notes from New England and picked me to be the feature for the show that happened this Sunday. Well, one of the songs from my album that Colette chose to play was Into Your Heart. And it turned out that Deb Anderson also played a song by Pat Humphreys on the very show. Mm. So I was able to write to Pat and say, hey, Pat, I love your song Into Your Heart. And I arranged it, and it's on my new album that's about to come out. I'd love to send it to you. So she was excited, and I popped it in the mail to her yesterday. So when I talk about the process being a walkabout, that's a very good example. I literally never know where the music's going to take me or who it's going to connect me with. And the songs that go on an album happen just like Lisa comes over, and I listen to something, and I love it. So um, my Moments album... The, the song Moments, that's the title song, is really about how life is made of moments. It's a tapestry of moments of every color and hue, and that moments give life meaning. And so, in essence, I can say that many of my albums are tapestries, and as I go along meditating on the theme of what the album is, that's where the songs come from. My second of the five that I've done in the last five years is called coming full circle and that theme was very clear that was really acknowledging here i am in round two of being a professional musician 
and the title song is all about that journey. Um, my 2019 album is called In Grace, and the title song of that album just wrote itself. I finished it at the at, um, the beginning of last week. I, you know, I never know mm. when the songs are going to come through, but the the sense of what it is. And that song is absolutely gorgeous. In fact, I played it for the first time last Thursday at a gig and people were commenting what an amazing song it was. And I have a saxophonist friend named Willie Sardillo, who's an incredible human being, a very deeply spiritual man. And when the song was coming through me, I just heard Willie playing the saxophone on it. So I reached out to him and he is going to record it with me. And my cellist, whose name is Valerie Thompson, who's wonderful, I hear her playing cello. So this is how it works for me. It literally just comes through in meditation and receptivity. And I actually have written five of the songs for my In Grace album, and I can't say I expected it to happen. They just have come through me. One of them is actually the song, which is um, the one that's part of the Artists for the Environment collection. It's called Enough, and it was inspired, or I can say the opposite of inspired, by the teardown epidemic that's happening in the city of Newton, Massachusetts, where I work and where I lived up until three and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And since I watched houses being torn down, and there was a, a wonderful part in the town center, it was called the Ore Block, that had all these wonderful mom-and-pop businesses and like restaurants I went to, Newtonville Camera, it was the camera shop I went to, and the whole thing was going to be torn down and everyone fought against it for two years, but the developer won. So, you know, I was like crying as I'd go by this place where it had so many memories where I knew the people that had the businesses and that's where the song came from. And I also was working on taking a photograph to be the cover because I'm releasing it as a single on November 12th. And one day, I found a hole in the fence because they usually cover the fence with like, um, it's like green plastic so you can't really see through very well and photos through that don't look so good. I actually found an opening with a fence and was able to take a picture of one of the last structures with its chimney and mm. the big orange crane in front of it which became the cover of the, the single. Oh wow. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. I never know what I'm going to write or why I'm going to write about it, but things touched me. My Say Yes to Love album, which came out in 2017, the title song actually is dedicated to one of my best friends from college, who's an extraordinary man named Art Olivas, who was an educator, a phenomenal traditional Hispanic artist, and also a secular Franciscan priest oh, who's wow. married to a wonderful man. And he was diagnosed with non-smoker stage four lung cancer, which was absolutely devastating. And he managed to survive six years with stage four non-smoker lung cancer, even though he was originally given no more than six months to live. And what he did with those, those years was extraordinary. And I visited him a few times along the way. And what I realized, this was probably in like November of 2016, when I was visiting him, his, his um, treatment had stopped to work. And I didn't want the next time I saw Art to be at his funeral. I wanted to really help celebrate his life while he was alive. So I felt inspired to get some of our closest friends from college together to go visit him, which we did in February of 2017. And as we had an amazing time, in fact, one of our other friends, sadly, predeceased Art, she died of um, ovarian cancer. And she, I wrote a song for her, too, that's on the album called Love and Time. But as we were at our last dinner before we were all flying back to the different parts of the country we came from, we were in Albuquerque, that's where Art and Chris lived, um, Art basically said that he'd been afraid for all of us to come out to visit because he didn't know if he was going to be alive or what condition he'd be in if he was alive, so he was afraid for us to buy plane tickets. And, and Chris said, I kept telling Art to say yes to love. Hmm. And really touched me. And Chris asked me to write a song, and on the plane ride home to Boston, there came my song, and that became the title of my 2017 Say Yes to Love album. Aw, that's, uh, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. It is. Even more beautiful is um, I was invited to play and sing the song at Arts Memorial Service in Albuquerque, which took place at the end of May, and that's probably the most profound opportunity I've had to share a song because to tell that story with Art's family and friends I met like some of his siblings who I hadn't met before his nieces and nephews 
And it was so profound to sing the song at his memorial service with his family and friends gathered. Wow. Wow. You know, that's one thing about about being in the arts is that, you know, you can affect people in uh, different ways, you know, um, visually, uh, you know, sonically through Mm -hmm. writing songs. And I know that must make you feel good to be able to use your art, your artistic gift to uh, to do that. Absolutely. It's what I mean, I'm an introvert and what allowed me to get out of my shell and to, you know, besides a lot of therapy and coaching, because it hasn't been an easy thing to like put myself in the middle of stage as an introvert who'd rather hide under the table and pet the cat. (laughs) But in all seriousness, uh, when there's a message, when there's something in my heart and I want to reach out and touch people, it's a real profound gift to be able to be on the stage with my fellow musicians and then provide an experience because music gives people an experience and really create that heart-to-heart connection. I've done some shows at Scholars, which is Boston's big jazz club, and I've brought my seven-piece band along. And it's like, it's almost like sculpting an experience for people and to watch people cry and at the end of the evening just to see how deeply people can be touched by the music. That is an amazing gift and I'm grateful when I have that opportunity. Nice. Now, we're going to talk about two uh, events or two uh, um, events and uh, organizations. And uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Artists for the Environment. And then then we'll talk about uh, um, uh, women in the music gathering. But before I do Mm -hmm. that, um, we have a caller uh, that I believe you know pretty well. Uh, caller, area code six seven eight. Are you there? Hi, hi. Tell the audience who you are <laughs> and your connection to our guest. Yes. Yes. Tell tell the audience uh, your connection to our guest. Is her voice coming through? Because I can't hear her. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Uh, uh, hold on one second. Uh, uh oh. Okay. Um, do me a favor. Um, uh, can you hear them, uh, Diane? No, 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 no. No, no. Uh, hold on a second. Um, I'm gonna have. Uh, uh, I'm gonna have. Um, well, I I need to uh, fix something real quick. I'm gonna have um, uh, Linda tell who you are while I. I I'm mm-hmm. gonna fix. I'm gonna fix something uh, in the settings. But uh, uh, Linda, t- tell who uh, the sure. caller is. Yeah. So Diane Cameron Elam is my colleague in Artists for the Environment. She had the vision to create this project, and it's an absolutely wonderful project. publicist but more than that she's a social architect and all of the people that she brings together have vision and a real commitment to community service and creating magnificent projects in the world so that's how diane and i were introduced to each other and diane is putting together a curated collection of songs um, that have to do with what's happening in our world and our environment with a message of consciousness and healing two of the members of the women in music gathering Um, Pat Chapman and Jane Fallon have submitted songs to the collection and my song Enough is part of that collection as well. So this is a wonderful project that Diane envisions and has spearheaded and I think it will be a way to reach a lot of people through music and raise their consciousness about what we're doing to the environment and the need for us to really do more to take care of the environment. All right. uh, Now let's we're going to try this one more time. Okay. So Diane, are you there? All right. Can you guys hear her? 
Uh oh, sorry. I'm sorry, you gotta love live. Well, hold on one second. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh huh. No, I still can't hear her. Yeah, I can't either. Uh huh. I'd like to thank you so much for uh, for sharing that, and I will relay. Uh, there was a little an audio issue, but I'll make sure that uh, and the audience was able to hear you as well. So uh, I don't know what's. Uh, there was a little audio issue, but thank you so much for calling in. All right, thank you. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, um, so basically, she was saying that uh, that she appreciated your contribution to society and what you do with the music. And she says that she cannot wait to be there in Boston. So mm-hmm. so um, so this is now where did this this idea come from? 
and uh, tell us who is involved and um, are there is there how can people participate and go? Okay, so the Women in Music Gathering was um, the initial seed of it came when Cindy said to me she'd love for me to do something and bring women together. And as soon as someone says they'd like me to do something, I usually come up with some sort of in inspired idea. And she also wanted to connect me with a singer-songwriter named Colette O'Connor, who's a wonderful person um, who lives south of Boston. And so I basically started to meditate on what to do. And I was talking with Cindy and with Colette, and the idea came together to gather women singer-songwriters and performing musicians because there are some very unique stories and challenges that women in music face. And I had no idea, actually, until I started bringing this group together, how my journey is actually quite emblematic of what it's like to be a woman in music, the, the, the challenge of juggling all the different roles, the challenge of how do you support yourself. Women care quite a lot about relationships. And so balancing the relationships we have with other people while also preserving space for ourselves as creative artists, it's not an easy thing to do. So what we started to do was think of who did we know in our circles that were musicians who would relate to the whole journey of being a woman in music and also people who are generous in the sense of they like to be part of a group and community. There are some people who just want to perform and do their own thing and don't really care about being part of a group or community. But we were trying to look for who in our musical circles were people that really cared about being part of a group. So we had our first meeting in April and I came up with a design. We, we actually made it my home in Waltham, um, which I, I moved to this house three and a half years ago to create a music space. It's called the Music Salon House because I actually run an intimate house concert series called the Music Salon here every month. And my paternal grandmother was um, a, an opera singer and had a chickering piano that I did not actually get until after she died. But that was my one prized, you know, pr possession. And when my mom died, I turned it into a concert quality chickering. That's some of what I did with what I got when my mom died. I, I made the piano beautiful. And so in essence, this home welcomes gatherings and music. So the first time we got together, I think there were 10 or 12 of us in, in the room. And when people started to introduce themselves, there was so much emotion coming forward because what we started to realize is there was a profound need for women to get together and talk about their journeys as women musicians. And we're an intergenerational group with members from in their 20s to into their 60s. So some people haven't had children at all, both because they're too young and too old. Others of us have been moms and have kids of different ages. Um, and so one woman who's in her 30s has very young children, so she's sort of juggling how does she both raise young children and still be a musician. One of our members is in her 40s, and she didn't even have her children until she was in her 40s, so she has young children in her 40s. Um, my son is 22 in my 50s. So we started to realize, you know, that there was a lot that we had no one to talk to about, that we were very isolated with, and it was incredibly healing to be together but beyond that we could come together and collaborate professionally as well so the first project we did because Cindy is such an amazing magic weaver there was um, a radio station called Ruby Fruit Radio that heard about the project and they were interested in a curated playlist from our group so we actually put together a playlist I think 12 of our members put together um, we put pulled out and mp3s and we sent it in so there was the first curated playlist from the women in music gathering then the idea of doing some shows started to emerge and i have a friend who produces a, a singer songwriter series at a venue called the armory in somerville massachusetts his, his series is called the loop at the armory so he invited us to do a women in music gathering show and we actually did that last thursday night and myself and three of my other sisters in song joined us and it was incredibly amazing you know what's wonderful when you do a show like that is everybody has their own style and two of us were piano playing singer songwriters two were guitar and the piano player 
as a singer songwriter is the minority. Most singer songwriters are guitar players. So it was actually fun for me as a piano player, singer songwriter to have another piano player. <laughs> and one of the members of the group, her name is Mara Betancourt. She's from the Azores originally. Um, I've had her learn some of the harmonies on some of my songs so she can sing backup vocals just like I'm, I will sing backup on hers. So it's really fun to collaborate that way as well. And, and what we discovered when we were doing our concert on Thursday night is that some of us have written songs dedicated to the four-legged animals in our lives. I wrote one dedicated to my main coon cat, Scarlet, called Keeper of My Soul. That's going to be on my Grace album. And Molly Ruggles, and she was the other piano-playing singer-songwriter, actually wrote a song for her dog. So what came spontaneously out of that was, you know, we should do a benefit concert as a group for an animal shelter. And a lot of the members of our group are animal lovers, and many of us have adopted animals from shelters. So now I'm in the works of creating um, a women in music gathering benefit concert for a local animal shelter. And I'm working right now. I'm in conversation with the, the, the big cabaret venue in Boston called Club Cafe to see if they can host us in April. And then there's an animal shelter called the MSPCA that's actually near Club Cafe. So that might be a natural liaison. Or there's another wonderful shelter that I've adopted two animals from called Buddy Dog in Sudbury, Massachusetts. And maybe we could do something with them. But the whole idea of collaborating, doing something for the greater good of the community as the women in music gathering and performing our songs is what's emerging. And one of the things the group decided it wanted to do was a showcase because little shows like this where four or five people perform is lovely. But what would be really amazing was to take a, a whole bunch of us and do a whole showcase. And there's a wonderful venue in Boston called The Burren that a man named Tom Bianchi is the booker for. And he's done a phenomenal job really building the singer songwriter and live music community in Boston through his shows. So I approached him and asked, what about doing a women in, gather in music gathering showcase where in essence, we through music and just through our presence addressed the unique journey and challenges and support you know, when you're women in music and he loved the idea. So on November 18th, 11 of us are going to take the stage together oh, and wow. we're going to do our songs. It's very exciting. And Diane's going to come up from Atlanta to be there, which I can't wait for as well. So um, we're going to be backing each other on each other's songs. And I think it's going to be phenomenal because there are a lot of incredibly talented people in this group who've had wonderful careers in their own right. But what's really magical is they're fantastic people. And when we support each other, magic happens. Wow. Wow. So you have quite a bit on your plate and that sounds really good. How can people get more information, uh, websites and social media and all that for that? Yeah. Okay. Um, the best way is to, to approach me, Linda Marks. My music website is lindamarksmusic.com. I'm on Reverb Nation as Linda Marks. I have a Linda Marks Music Facebook page and a Linda Marks Singer-Songwriter page. We don't yet have a Women in Music Gathering Reverb Nation page, although Colette is working to put that together. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as LSM Heart, so at LSM Heart. So you can find me on any of those platforms. I respond almost instantaneously because I love to network and connect with people. Wow, that's so awesome. Like, um, you know, and and one thing, too, is a uh, recurring theme is uh, Boston. So uh, I, I take it that Boston is a, a part of what you do as much as uh, almost anything else. Right. So uh, explain Boston, explain the connection. Yeah. Boston is amazing. I mean, I can't say I expect it to always you know, be here this way. I, I actually worked in London a lot in my 20s because as a mind-body psychotherapist, body psychotherapy was better understood in Europe than it was in the United States. So in my 20s, I had to travel to Europe for people to understand that part of my work. But it just seems that both when I was in my early 20s, there was a very fertile singer-songwriter acoustic music scene in Boston I was part of. And now, at this point in my life, there's an incredibly fertile singer-songwriter community and jazz community and cabaret community. A lot of the communities overlap. So Boston has amazing people and really wonderful people. And we seem to have a knack of collaborating and supporting each other in the music world. At least the musicians do. The venues are not always that way, although 
when you get wonderful musician people at venues like Tom at, at the Burren, and there's a man named Fred Taylor who's almost 90 years old who founded Scholars Jazz Club. And unfortunately, the hotel management fired him in January of 2017, which was devastating for all of us performing musicians mm. because he... This man had a vision like you wouldn't believe. There's a, a young, well, now she's in her 20s. There's a saxophonist and vocalist named Grace Kelly who was phenomenally talented. When he heard her when she was 12, he started mentoring her and building her, starting her career. And she went to Berkeley when she was very young. She now lives, I think, in L.A. and is a phenomenal recording artist. But there are so many stories of people that Fred Taylor helped get onto the map. And he also brings through amazing touring artists that are international touring artists. So Fred both valued the people and the local music scene, including people like myself, as well as the international touring artists. And everything came together in the venue that he was the booker for. So when he lost his position, it was devastating because many of us didn't have that, you know, world class stage anymore. And with people like Tom at the Burren building that kind of thing there, Club Passim, which is where I'm doing my September 27th show, is another iconic historic place where it's gone through some hard times, but it got made into a nonprofit. And a lot of people are taking very good care of it. Matt Smith, who's the booker there, does a phenomenal job um, having lots of amazing people come through, both local and the touring acts as well. So Boston is struggling in the venue department in some ways, yet some amazing people are stepping up to the plate. The other thing I think we're doing well in Boston, and this is where Women in Music Gathering is part of, of this piece, is we're creating non-traditional venues as well, like my house concert series, The Music Salon. For three and a half years I've been doing this. People have somehow found out, even though I have a modest home where 20 to 25 people are a full crowd, hmm. and I'm booked out till September of 2019. You know, oh, wow. it's like people, people, a lot of people want to play here. And another sad thing about venues is if I have 20 or 25 people at my home and we begin with a potluck dinner, then I have a featured visual artist share something about their art and bring their art as well. And then um, my guitarist, Terry Smith, and I, we play as a duo. We're literally the house band that comes with the house and we play an opening set. And then we have a featured um, performer of almost any genre. If people donate, I ask if they can afford it, $20, if not, whatever they can. If we have 200 300 or God say $400 in the donations basket at the end of the evening, that's a lot more money than any venue in the city pays people for mm -hmm. a 90-minute gig. So the combination of that, for many people, it's their best-paying gig, as well as it's really a listening room, because everyone there really wants to hear what the artists have to share. It's so poignant to be a performer where you're sharing from your heart and you might take risks and play the stuff you can't necessarily play in every club because people only want you to play certain things where you can play whatever you want to play with people who really care to hear what you have to say about your process as well as play and then have a better payout just from the donations than you get at most clubs. So non-traditional venues seem to be popping in Boston as well. There's actually talking about venues in Boston there's a man named Mark Abere, um, or Abere, I'm not quite sure how to say it. He's in Lowell, Massachusetts, and along with Aaron Tomberg, they're building um, up a wonderful special listening room called the Hearing Room in Lowell, Massachusetts. It's a, I just played there a couple of weekends ago, and I'm going to be playing a couple more times this year. But it's an amazing place, like a living room in someone's house. They have a what used to be a player piano that you can play. Oh, wow. They have um, you know decorations, including guitar parts. Mark made this amazing jukebox and all the songs on the jukebox are from local people's albums who've played at the hearing room. I'm grateful my moments album is one of them. It is so cool wow. to have the music and the jukebox be from the local musicians who play there. So Mark and Aaron have created this amazing listening room in Lowell, Massachusetts. And now a lot of us who are professional musicians want to play there because of the spirit of what has been created. So I have great hopes for the people who care to have live music and create listening rooms, even if it's in non-traditional ways. Wow. Um, the end of April, I had an event um, for a, a local artist and, um, <laughs> you know, I did it at my house had a bunch of people there. It was a really successful event. I was saying I'm going to try to do it every couple of months, but it, 
that one that wore me out <laughs> doing that yeah yeah you know but i was so blessed that so many musicians donated their time and you know to really make it pop off and it was a really great event so uh i plan on doing some more probably i probably will wait till 2019 so that i can fine tune some stuff but yeah i think that's a great idea to just you know like you said it, venues are are hard to come by that you know because a lot of times they don't do the artist right and mm -hmm. it's a lot of uh it's a lot of political stuff there and you know so like i said my the event that we did at, at my house you know was very good and uh it was very well received so that's a great idea now good we, for you kente I'm, I'm glad you're doing it that's fantastic i I'm, i keep threatening i, I emceed it I keep threatening that uh, one of the, one of the events I'm going to actually sing a little something something. So maybe I'll, I'll wait till <laughs> I'll wait till Jen comes so that we could do a duet. So uh, we'll, we'll do it. You're going to have a long wait. We're, no, no, we're going to do. Let's see. We're going to start off with "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." Oh, oh I love that. And then we're going to um, follow it up by "Where's the Love," and I then love that too. and then we're going to close it out with "Don't You Want Me, Baby." <laughs> So get ready, Jen. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna totally go full just lip sync. Uh, if we could get somebody in there to just pre-record, I'll gladly go through the theatrics. <laughs> okay, <this is> <laughs> yes, that'll be awesome. All right, so now we've come to the point of the show that we affectionately love to call rapid fire, and the way that rapid fire works is that me and Jen will pepper you with questions. Maybe not necessarily about music. But, uh, you know, some personal questions, but we don't get too personal because we're not that kind of a show. So are you ready? Are you ready for rapid fire? I am ready. All right. So this first question that we always start off with a couple of years ago at Coachella, they had a hologram concert for the rapper Tupac. What dead artist or band would you like to see a hologram concert of? Oh, my goodness. Wow. I love so many people that it's hard to think who I would choose. <laughs> uh, okay, I'd like Carol King because everyone thinks my hair is like her hair. And <laughs> if it was a hologram concert, we could play with her hair. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I was nice. thinking that too, Carol King. That's funny. That's funny. All right, so Jen, it's on you. Okay, <clears throat> what book would you say had the most influence on you as a child as a child yes hmm that's interesting to think about too where the wild things are by maurice sendak i love the pictures of the creatures good choice also the wild rumpus i can only imagine must just have been a cacophony of sounds and music and all kinds of stuff so i can see that cool <laughs> All right. Question number two. What is your your guilty pleasure junk food to eat? Foodie, high quality ice cream. And in Boston, there are two places that I get it from. Lizzie's Ice Cream and Rankatories. They have the best homemade foodie ice cream available. All right. All right. I love it. All right, Jen. <clears throat> okay. Uh, on a scale from one to ten. How important would you say movies are to you? And and let me preface by, or let me sort of put a caveat in there. Movies like going to the theater, seeing movies on the big screen. Oh, I'd say nine. I love, love, love movies. I My son, when my son was younger, we would have this thing of doing a movie marathon during his school vacations. And we'd try to see all the movies that were going to be nominated for Oscars before they were nominated. I love movies on the big screen. Nice. Right. I love that answer. Yeah, that is a wonderful answer. Um, okay. So um, being someone from Boston, um, mm -hmm. a lot of times you watch movies and you'll see an actor not from Boston um, butcher the uh, Boston accent. What's the worst, uh, the most egregious uh, Boston accent you've ever seen uh, depicted on TV or movies? Can you, can you uh -huh. recall? Oh, gosh. Um, I've certainly heard it butchered, and it's hard for me to think of who butchered it the worst. Um, for some reason, 
I don't think this is fair because I think Mark Wahlberg is from Boston, but he was in a movie where the way they had the Boston accent was pretty egregious, even if he wouldn't necessarily butcher it himself. <laughs> well, was that that was the one where he was the criminal? He uh, he, it was like a bank heist. Yes, that was the one. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, the and, Boston accent was pretty egregious, even though I know that that was probably done just for for comic effect in the movie. <laughs> what, that's great well if you, there was a movie called edge of darkness starring mel gibson it, mm-hmm. he he's that was pretty horrible too so <laughs> don't read mel gibson <laughs> and that it would probably make your your skin crawl <laughs> probably will <laughs> all right jen okay mary what is your favorite comfort food Kombucha tea, believe it or not. I love kombucha, and I drink it every single day. My favorite is Synergy Cranberry Kombucha. One a day. Nice. Okay, all right. Now, this is the last question. We always end with this one, so this is very important. you got to help a brother out. A young man is in Boston, and he's taking a young lady out on a date, and he needs your help. So tell this young man what is the proper Boston date to take a young lady out on and this is their first date their first date okay it depends on the season mm-hmm. we'll say summer like summer mm-hmm. okay a really nice thing to do is to walk through the north end the Italian part of Boston it's really fun to walk through and you can virtually pick any restaurant at all to go to and it will be amazing And there is the legendary Mike's Pastry in the North End, where they have phenomenal Italian pastry. I love their cannolis and their rum cakes. So they can walk around the North End, which is really sweet. They can pick whatever restaurant they feel moved to drop in on and have a fantastic dinner and then polish it off by going to Mike's Pastry. (laughs) Okay, I can dig it. That sounds good. Now, if if, if I ever get a chance to take a young lady out on that date and she doesn't like it, I'm going to, I'm going to refer back to you, <laughs> but if she does like it, I'm going to take full credit for it. I'm going to take full credit if, if she does Please like do take it. full credit. And actually I've taken friends from out of town on that date, whether they're men or women. And most people love that. Oh, okay. It sounds, it sounds awesome. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's, uh, you know, um, it's a pleasure. Like I, you know, like I said, I, I'm a, a big, big into music and I loved like the nuts and bolts, the behind the scenes. I could like bend <laughs> your ear asking so many questions uh, about songwriting and you would be like, okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but um, uh, once again, I want you to uh, remind the audience uh, about your uh, events and also how can they uh, social mm-hmm. media for you as well as the events and dates and all of that good stuff. Okay. In terms of events, I have a big show coming up September 27th at Club Passim in Boston, where I'll be releasing my new Moments album. The album goes live digitally on September 1st. On November 18th, the Women in Music Gathering is doing a big showcase at the Burren in Somerville, Massachusetts. Eleven of our members are going to be performing together um, and giving a taste about the journey of women in music. Those are two big events. I run a monthly house concert series called The Music Salon every month. Our next salon is September 29th in Waltham, Massachusetts. And I've got lots of other gigs in between, and so do my fellow musicians. If you want to reach me, I'm at lindamarksmusic.com for my website. I'm on Reverb Nation as Linda Marks. I have a Linda Marks Music Facebook page and a Linda Marks Singer Songwriter Facebook page on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm at L-S-M-H-E-A-R-T. All right. All right. And what I'll do is uh, when your new album comes out, I will purchase a copy, obviously, a digital copy for myself. And what we'll do is we'll purchase another one and we will give it away on a future show. So to, That's wonderful. So. Thank you. Yes, so we got always. I always like to support the arts; it's very important. Thank you. And um, also, I want to give a shout out to uh, Cindy too uh, for uh, setting this all up. Uh, um, what is it like working with Cindy? 
Cindy is an absolute treasure. I am so grateful that we connected. A, another singing songwriting friend of mine named Laurie Diamond was the one who connected me and Cindy. Cindy has so much positive energy, so much vision, and she loves to bring wonderful people together. So every single person I've met through the Lady Lake family is amazing. And her ideas for creating collaborative projects are really inspirational. And I am delighted to be collaborating with her. Yes, yes. She's a, uh, she seems to be a, a really nice young lady and looking forward to future collaborations. Sorry that uh, we had the uh, technical issue for Diane uh, Elam. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll have her on properly and we can um, talk. Maybe uh, maybe uh, closer to the event we'll have, have, you, have her both you and her on and uh we can do it properly that would be lovely and i really i really love diane as well she's a a deeply spiritually guided person who's a wonderful singer she's a wonderful soulful singer Mm. and she has a wonderful vision wow she seemed like a very sweet person now everybody will be able when they hear the playback they will be able to hear her just fine so that that was fine all right, so I'm going to go to you, Jen. How can people get you on social media and all that good stuff? People can reach me on social media at Following Bliss uh, for Twitter. Um, and they can obviously get me at my website, moviesmakethemeal.com. And my review site is criticallapsewith2ls.com as well. All right, and you can get me at Kente F. On Twitter, you can go to our website, which is IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week uh, on Thursday for the Cinema de Fromage uh, finale. I know we announced it was going to be this Thursday, but we, we're going to push it back to make that show extra special. Uh, in season two, the, the top two movies were Batman 1966 and Westworld. So in this final showdown episode uh king penguin will be battling with the one and only jen for uh <laughs> to see who, which movie is gonna win and i believe you have westworld right 1972 i do have westworld <clears throat> i am really excited to represent too and he has batman 1966 so uh, we will see, and we'll have guest judges on to help, and we'll also do our <laughs> cinema de fromage, which is cinema of cheese. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to have our award show for our second season, so we will be giving our awards to all the movies that we cover. So this this should be pretty funny. Uh, it's it's going to be a good show. So we're going we pushed it back to the sixth, which is Thursday. Uh, not this week, but the following week. And I believe Monday is Labor Day. Am I right about that? Yeah, it is Labor yep. Day. Yes. So you guys have a great rest of your week and uh, have a great Labor Day, a three-day weekend for a lot of you guys. And uh, we'll catch you next time right here on IndieRadio.org. Napa know-how. Right now, Napa Legend batteries come with a $15 rebate by mail. Their long-lasting durability stands up to extreme conditions. So even on scorching days, it'll puff its chest out and be all like, hey, summer heat, find another car battery to drain. Napa Legend Batteries with $15 mail-in rebate. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores. Offer expires 831.18.